Welcome to the Maris Review. I am so happy to be sitting across from Kimberly King Parsons, who I'm meeting for the very first time, but I've been hearing about her for more years. Um, (laughs) Born in Lubbock, Texas, Kimberly received her MFA from Columbia University. Her fiction has been published in the Paris Review, Best Small Fictions 2017, Black Warrior Review, Kenyon Review, among others, and Blacklight is her debut story collection. Thank you so much for having me. I'm so excited to be here. Yay, I'm happy to meet you. So I, I think we, we should talk to listeners about how how uh, we, we came to connect. How we met. <laughs> how we met. I was interviewing Amy Hempel. Who is my personal, fa- very, very favorite writer forever since I was 19 years old. First fiction, first short fiction I ever read, truly. Oh, She's so good. She's so great. And and yeah, I showed up and I was nervous, of course, because she's a goddess. Right. <laughs> <laughs> and um, it was lovely. And she was so easy to talk to and wonderful. She's so warm. Yeah. So warm. And when I asked her what she was reading that she was really into – she raved about your upcom- upcoming story collection. I can't even wrap my mind around that. It's so insane and, and wonderful. It is. <laughs> and, and so you just did an event with her, yes? I did. I met her um, at the the Books Are Magic reading just the other night, and it was the first time I've ever met her um, oh. in person, and it was lovely. And she's so charming and easy to talk to and um, was just – had brilliant questions and obviously incredibly – you know, lovely. It was great. Yeah. Oh, that's so good. Yeah. Yeah. I, I, after that, I knew I had to track down a copy of the galley immediately. <laughs> <laughs> and then it turned out that we have lots of friends in common. We and, do. Yeah. And so tell us just a little bit about the collection as a whole before I start asking you. Okay. Yeah. Questions. Um, so most of these stories are set in Texas or they're about Texans who've recently left Texas. Um, And I typically describe them as dark short stories. They are often focusing on fringe characters. So outsiders, um, people who are running from something or trying to escape something in their life. Or there's also quite a few stories narrated by children. Yes. Um, And so, yeah, they're, they're, I, I worked on them from, 2005 until mm. 2018 <laughs> um, in some capacity, like not not like the whole time. Right, but, right. You but took a break to do I other did. things. I took breaks, but I definitely have had a lot of. I didn't. Re- I didn't realize I was working on a collection. I was just doing standalone stories for many, many years. Sure. And eventually, they sort of amassed. How? So. How? When did they first coalesce for you? I mean, I to be quite frank, I was going to the Tin House workshop, yeah, and I needed to have. I was going to meet with an agent for two minutes, and I needed to have a manuscript to talk about. Oh and so goodness. I had I had uh, given up on a novel that I was very happy to give up on. And then <laughs> I had short stories, but I had to sort of sit down and spread them out on the floor and pick, you know, I think at the time I had 15 and put them together. And granted, you know, I didn't hand her that manuscript that day, but I needed to have, I needed to write a query letter and sure. I needed to have a, um, a a product, essentially like a book to yeah. talk about. And so, um, so that's really when I did it. And so that was in the summer of 2017. Um, 
And yeah, and then I, so then I went and met with who is just the most wonderful person ever, Meredith Kaffel-Simonoff, who ended up being my agent. And so I met her there for two minutes. We really didn't even talk very much about my book. We talked about all the wonderful books that she had published that I loved that had spoken to me over the years. And then, um, and then she asked me to send it, send the collection after the meeting. And then I didn't for a couple of weeks. And then then I got, uh, got my nerve up and did it eventually. So that's great. Was there one? story that you felt like the collection should hinge around? You know, I didn't at the time. I, I Now I see the hinge. To me now, the hinge is the story Foxes, which ended up being um, in the Paris Review, and it ended up having some pretty extensive revisions in 2018. Um, but at the time, I didn't I didn't quite, I mean, I, we didn't, it wasn't called Blacklight then, so there wasn't the right. title story either. Right. Um, and, and so I wasn't exactly sure. I feel like some of those, the hinge point and the title and the title story, all of those things started to come together by working with both Meredith and with my editor, Margot Weissman at Vintage. Yeah. So, yeah. And the title is really perfect. It's, it, it's you know what, it was one of those things where I, I, a long time ago I had sent a draft of... Um, some of the stories to Don Raffle, who's a writer who yeah. I really love. And she had suggested there's a line in the story Blacklight, which at that time was called Fellowship. Um, but there was a line that says that in this bowling alley, when they turn on the black lights, there are things that are unseen in natural light. And she said, What about if you just called it unseen in natural light? And I was like, That's all right. You know, that sounds pretty good. And I didn't, it was better than what I had. But Natural light is a beer um, in Texas, especially. <laughs> and, natty uh, I mean, light, it's, yeah. It's everywhere. Um, in fact, I don't even know. <laughs> I'm not sure where they make natty light, where it originates from. But um, but they drink a lot of it in Texas. Uh, and so I always would get stuck on this idea that the, there was a beer in the title. And then <laughs> something about unseen in natural light was uh, maybe not quite – I don't know. It, it Something was just off a little bit. And so then – um, I had, I think at the time when I sent it to Meredith, it was called Glow Hunter, which is another story. But then we were thinking about what's this, what sort of encapsulates the ideas really behind does. all of it. Yeah. And then I, I remember just asking her, what about Blacklight? And she was like, she just wrote back like one word, yes. And then we knew, okay, so it can just be Blacklight. And then we changed the story Fellowship to be called Blacklight to make that the title story, which is where that the phrase came from anyway. And then that's the sort of thing that I feel like when you're working with someone who really gets what you're trying to do, it's just mm-hmm. such a magic moment. So I was so happy with um, with the way that that turned out. And it, it it really does provide a tool to wrap one's head around the stories in in your collection, because so much of what you write um, is about exposing the grime or the yeah. the things that we don't want to see the things that only the the black light can show you yeah yeah, yeah. and and it's funny because there were already so many story titles that had either you know there was glow hunter there was um starlight the light will pour in like there was so much light there already yeah. but it's very interesting you know sometimes you're so close to something you can't see it and it took me having some other people to look at it to sort of show me what it was doing but but all of those stories are doing you know something similar with showing that hidden hidden grimy element that's there all along that you just can't see all the time and and in this book you really make readers sit with that grime yeah. and kind of get dirty themselves. Sure, yeah. And I I like the grime. I like it. I like sitting with it. I feel like I like um, putting characters in positions where 
they're forced to confront things instead of they're all almost a lot of these characters are characters who are trying to escape things or feel mm-hmm. like they have escaped things but then i like to put them into positions where they realize that they haven't actually escaped at all so like in the story starlight you know there's this couple that leaves their day job to go and do drugs in a hotel room all day and they think that they're going to have this great sort of vacation day of you know locking out of their lives and then they're just confronted with so much grime and so much of the seedy underside of their own personalities and their own shortcomings but also just sort of the world in general and um and i like that putting characters in in those places where they're sort of stuck with their own worst um parts obviously you chose to write about these two characters but i couldn't help thinking when i read that story like don't the coworkers know yeah <laughs> well i like there's one part where they said they wondered if the mm-hmm. coworkers were talking about them they hoped so you know this idea also of that the, like everybody knows everything right everybody knows everything about us or people again right. from the outside i think people can see things so much more clearly than we can on the inside so i like this idea of all the coworkers being like oh my god jill and rick they're <laughs> no, out they're-, they're both sick yeah right you know like just <laughs> knowing and knowing that they're up to something and also it's the same moment when Jill goes they go to pay because they're paying by the hour and of course room. they are and she and the the uh the the person behind the glass who's taking her credit card looks at her and he knows what they're doing he knows yes. they're up to something and she loved that that feeling of being illicit doing something you're not right. supposed to be doing because that's part of it is that you might get caught otherwise there would be no you know for them for those characters right 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 I find that you know so much that so much that i've read about the book is about how you're able to locate the dirt and the grime underneath all of the beauty that and and texas is is certainly a character sure and i'm wondering if one how do you find beauty in the grotesque mundane things that happen in everyday life and and also does it make readers uncomfortable? And th- is that good? Yes, I think it's good. I think we learn a lot about ourselves by experiencing discomfort. Mm-hmm. And I think that it's even at the sort of um, the level of construction of the book itself, whereas, you know, I, I'm not heavily reliant on plot. I'm not right. I'm not trying to, um, to encapsulate things in a way that's easy. So mm-hmm. I... Because personally, as a reader, I like to feel uncomfortable or I like to feel unsure um, the whole time and a little on edge because it makes me think. And that's not what I look for in, say, uh, a television show necessarily, right? right? right. But when I'm reading, that's what I want to feel. I want to feel confused and Mm -hmm. sort of perplexed and maybe uncomfortable. And then I want to feel astonished. And I want that to come, maybe it comes through the language or maybe it comes through a swerve or something that you weren't expecting a character to do or a single gesture that's heartbreaking or or mm. beautiful or transcendent. And I think that the way to do that is to walk that line um, where you're never too comfortable. So. I, and I, lo- I love even in each story, the reader has to orient themselves and it takes – it takes a couple of pages to figure out what's going on. Yeah, and um, but th- but then you get right into it. I-, I-, I can imagine that that requires so many different rewrites and so many <laughs> so much construction on your part. This is true. <laughs> yes, I think um, I think what happens is if I'm always starting with one sentence. I mean, it sounds sort of 
silly to say I'm writing one sentence at a time because you're like, every writer is writing one sentence at a time, but literally writing where there's one sentence that comes out first that is the first sentence and it's mm -hmm. the true sentence and everything comes from that sentence. And so you're constantly looking backwards to see, well, what did I just say? And that's what allows you to move forward. And I know that mm. that's not necessarily the way. It's, I think, something more frequently done in poetry where you're focusing on even things like this number of syllables or um, just different aspects of a sentence in a way that it's it sort of providing a recipe or sure. directions for how to move forward. And so often at the beginning, it's sort of almost the same confusion of the writer as the writer's feeling their way into the world is mm. the same thing that's transmitted to the reader. And so you're just hoping that there's enough authority um, in the voice that you, that your reader will follow you wherever you're taking them and that you're going to take them somewhere that they haven't gone before. Oh, and you take us all sorts of places. <laughs> um I, I love the mix that that yes you do um, have child narrators, but there's there's a good mixture of different experiences. Yeah, I love um, there, John Raffle, who we mentioned earlier, wrote uh, a book in the year of long division short stories that were for Knopf and like I want to say the. I don't know if it was like the late 80s, early 90s, beautiful stories. A lot of them are from the perspective of children. And um, Yannick Murphy had a book called uh, yeah. Stories in Another Language, which mm -hmm. I love those child narrators because they are – they're feeling powerless a lot of the time or they're – trying to figure out their position and what they can do in the world when they are not in control of themselves in the way that they might like to be. And they're also trying to make sense of the world. Right. Um, and I think that there's something attractive about that. Also, um, I like teenagers because they have low impulse control, which I find appealing. <laughs> yes. <laughs> or appealing to write about. Yes. Um, and they're also just in that constant discovery or experimentation mode. Um, so that stuff is, is – I, I tend to get drawn towards um, teenagers and uh, young children because for those reasons, yeah. Yeah. Um, tell me a little bit about story length because much like Amy Hempel, you do have a couple of really brief stories. There's a couple like, of short ones, yeah. Um, would you call them flash fiction? Is that – I think that's fair. I think they're both under – so maybe one of them's like 900 words and one's under 1,200. Yeah, I think that's flash length. Sure. Yeah. Um, and I guess one of them was in Best Small Fictions, which I think by definition has oh, to yes. be flash. Oh, yes. And there you so, go. So, yeah. Um, and I think sometimes when you're following that recursion method of sentence to mm. sentence, sometimes things keep opening up and opening up, and sometimes they keep closing down and closing down. And so some of the stories in the for those two, they just got very tight very quickly, and they sort of um, – I'm imagining like this sort of spiral of a shell going down to a point. So you're just moving along the spiral and then it's over and you know that there's no way you can't go beyond it. It's done. And so oh. for those two, for those two stories, that was it. Whereas some of the stories are sort of maybe expanding outwards in ways that you can follow them um, a little bit longer. Right. So. And do you, what makes a story done? This is just gut. It's just a gut yep. feeling that it's done. And, um, I, I often – so I always know the first line and I always know the last line and mm. I am sometimes working up to that last line. And sometimes it takes, you know, 10 years to right. deserve the last line and sometimes it takes um, – you know, sometimes you find the last line really quickly and and you're then just trying to, to justify it. But um, but it's really just gut because I had a, a story – I've written an essay about this. I had a story in there that was – 
for all intents and purposes, it was finished. And we were calling it done. Nobody saw a problem with it. I just knew it wasn't right. And there was no way to explain it other than to say something was missing, but I didn't know what it was. Right. And it really just took um, – I don't know, a deadline and some weird like <laughs> leap of faith to sort of say, oh, I, I'm going to try this other thing, one last one last thing. And so I did and then and then it felt done. And how wonderful to work with people who let you listen to your gut. Absolutely. Or get your gut. <laughs> you do. And I feel like that's actually something that's been the most surprising about this process the whole way through has been how closely my vision of what I'm doing matches up with what this book turned out to be. And I feel so seen. And there's not a better feeling than that to feel understood. And I I feel for people, for writers who've had the opposite experience or who've had something that they've imagined was maybe dark stories and then it gets marketed in a way that's like a beach read or whatever. Right. Um, And how, how very much the cover and the the language on the jacket flap and all of those things and the way that things are even marketed and who you're who you're mm-hmm. talking to you know all of those things contribute to the way that the work is received and i just feel really happy that my ideas have sort of matched up my idea for what i imagined it to be is is really uh, matched closely yeah oh that's wonderful yeah. and, and tell me a little more about putting the collection together once you knew it was a collection like does the first story work the same way as the first sentence and that it sets the tone and Yeah, I think for this one we we tried a few different things. Um I think we had start at one point we started with the title story. We had tried a few different ways in, but the first story guts the narrator is she's had a, a sort of change in her own personal worldview where suddenly she's dating this medical student and all of a sudden she starts to have this sort of radical empathy for people around her who before she barely noticed. And she's changed. She has a like a fundamental personality change. And right. I felt like it would be a great – she's a great proxy for the reader entering into this collection to be like she's trying to figure out her own footing in this world. And as mm. the reader, will try to figure out their footing in the world of the stories of Blacklight, that she would be good. Um, she would be sort of a good guide for the reader. And also, she's the most, um, or maybe, I don't know if she's the most, but she's a pretty affable narrator. She's yes. a little bit less confrontational than some of the other ones. <laughs> I feel like starting with a child story is tricky because it might sort of set the tone that it's a book about children or right. children somehow. Um, and so I thought that Sheila was – she's a young woman, so she's not a teenager, um, but I thought that she was a good starting point. And she does, now that I think about it, she is able to look at people on the street or in the movie theater and see their illnesses, yes. which is like she has her own little black light inside of exactly. her. She's almost – it's almost like she's the black light. She's sort of casting this light out all of a sudden. Or she thinks it's Tim doing it, but really it seems to be her because she sees – and it's not only that she sees all of the sickness, which she does, but she sees that beautiful humanity in every person mm-hmm. and that sort of temporary – how temporary life is. And she can't shake it. You know, it's not – and he's meanwhile – He's like, oh, I don't really – you know, he's the doctor. But he has to have that sort of medical remove because it wouldn't be great for him not to. Um, right. But also he just doesn't seem to feel the same things that she does in general. He does a little doctor explaining. Yeah, for sure. A lot. <laughs> Lots of that. Yeah, yeah. Um, yeah, the, the, the sex scenes were interesting because they were yeah. – Yeah, they're like labeling. It's yes. more like an anatomy lesson. Perhaps than a sex scene. Yeah, yeah, for sure. <laughs> and I also loved that 
through so many of these characters who are just lovely and I want to embrace them and make sure they're okay, we do meet some real assholes. Sure, yeah. (laughs) Tell me about misogyny in the collection. So there is some, for sure. Um, I'm thinking specifically in um, The Light Will Pour In. We have this older guy and a much younger girlfriend, and we – we have some feelings about him already just because his his worldview seems to be a little bit skewed. But then we have – there's a moment where he um, sees her getting into the shower and he sees these big bruises on her arms and we realize that he's put them there. And he says he should have felt ashamed, but instead he felt a jolt, like a feeling when you see – a lover has tattooed your name on their body. And that's, mm. of course, awful. But then he says he feels the same way about all of these scars on his arms from where she's been digging and clawing into him. And he says that, um, I think he says something like fighting was their glue. And it's just this thing that's brought them together. And so on the one hand, you know, yes, he's terrible. And and actually, uh, you know, so is Tim, the doctor from the yes, first story, is. I think. Yes. It's funny. Some people don't think that. But, I, I, um. I was confused, and I'm glad I got your um, affirmation on that because no. I did not like him. No, he's not <laughs> likable. He, he's just so dismissive. And so, I mean, you were saying like the doctor-splaining thing, but also um, – He's on. He's. It's not only that he's unwilling to love her the way she wants to be loved, but he's also just. Uh, he's not even willing to see her really at all. Um, but yeah, I think both those are two characters, and then there's even some kids who, yeah, you know, are they're cruel, and they're you know, there's girls at a boarding school who are vicious mm. to yes, each other. They are. And so I think I'm I'm attracted to those things to show. Um, not not as moments to take down those characters, but to allow the reader to have sort of empathy for those characters. Even even this asshole who's abusing his girlfriend, you're like, there's something, there's something that he's trying to get that he's not getting. Mm-hmm. And there's something that he was missing this whole time. And not to say that it justifies any of the behavior, but that there's a reason that people behave the way that they do. And that by giving all of those characters voices, even terrible, despicable yes. narrators, um, especially with first person, which is what I do yes. almost all the time, except for Starlight, you can get, you can live for a second with that sort of uh, flawed thinking and maybe you could learn something from it. You know, without, of course, these are not like preachy moral stories, but right. that by entering into that sort of like skewed psyche, maybe you can come out of it with more of a feeling about how how your worldview is shaped. Hmm. There is a moment in a story where you use the word deplorable. Yes. Twice. Sure. Um, it seems pretty um, we, yeah. <laughs> yes. purposeful. Sure. Yeah. I mean, we. I feel like I was just talking about the word indelible, which is also now has a very yes. different meaning and how um, both of those words have sort of risen um, and are forever changed, mm-hmm. I think, and ha- are fraught with meaning now that perhaps they were not previous to this election. Mm-hmm. Um, and so, yes, for sure, deplorable. Um, and that case to me was, you know, of course, you can't escape the, de- the deplorables, the idea of this this term. Um, but also f- to think about the people in, in that story, you know, she's like, oh, this is a deplorable town, but it's deplorable for different reasons. Right. You know? um, this idea, I think, of being in a place where other people are looking down on where you're from mm-hmm. and where you, mm-hmm. um, what your home is, is a place that someone else would say, oh, this is, you know, this is, these are deplorable people. And how that feels, um, you know, to be in those situations, whether, wh- whether or not, you know, in that story in Foxes, I think, you know, she talks about her, she and her husband were both 
sort of, they were premature babies and they were grown up in extreme poverty and they didn't have anything and they're trying to make this better life for their daughter. Um, But I think that, yeah, using a word like deplorable definitely is is intended to to sort of bring in that additional (laughs) meaning for sure. Yeah. Do you want to talk about other books you've been enjoying? Sure. So I... There is a short story collection called Large Animals by mm. Jess Arndt, A-R-N-D-T. I think that that is how you say their name. And it is – it moved me so thoroughly. Um, it's beautiful stories, weird stories, same kind of thing where you're sort of figuring out where you're starting. There's um, – you know, s- stories that start very high up or very low down where you're like in, it's like talking about fluorescent jellyfish. And then all of a sudden you're like gambling. There's, you know, but you're just moving in and sort of seeing the camera strokes, but it's very strange and short, but also um, extremely un- not unsettling, but it it sort of makes you find your step. It's just, you're not, you're never quite comfortable in that way that I really love. Um, that's great. And there's also a novel that's forthcoming from Catapult by Chelsea mm-hmm. Beaker called Godshot that Ooh, I'm reading in manuscript. It's new. Oh. I mean, she's, she just finished it. It's so beautiful. It's, it's insane and wonderful. And I feel it's about essentially like there's a a drought in a small town and there's a sort of a, almost like a cultish pastor who says there are these things that there's some projects that these women can do to bring the rain back. And, uh, but it's, oh. it's so, it's so beautiful. <laughs> and the sentences are just striking and lovely. Those both sound amazing. <laughs> Please tell me what is written down your arm. Oh, so this is... <laughs> She's showing me her tattoo. <laughs> yes. So this is the last line of In the Cemetery where Al Jolson is buried. Yes. By Amy Hempel. Amy Hempel. And the line is fluent now in the language of grief, which if you've read the story, you know how much of a um, heart punch that line is when you get to it. Um, but also I love this because... I read that story when I was 19, and I was not personally fluent in the language of grief at that time. I had had, like, my grandfather died of natural causes at a very old age, and that's, right. that was a different kind of – I was not fluent in the language. I was maybe uh, conversational in grief. But um, but since this time, you know, if we live long enough, we will we all, see huge yeah. tragedy in our life. And, um, and I feel like these words have been written on my arm since I read that line. And it it's now in the same way that I love this idea of my book matching up with the idea of what I had for it. When I look at my arm, it's like this was here the whole time, even though I just got this, you know, two years ago. Um, <laughs> but I have, I felt from the moment that I read those lines that they were a part of me in that way. And, um, and now that I am unfortunately fluent in the language of grief, it's something that brings a little bit of solace. And it's, it's just great. But I, I feel like Amy um, Amy also has a tattoo. She has a few really cool tattoos yes, as well. Yes. But we were talking about what better thing to do with your body, body than you know, to- than to what, – what better use of the real estate, you know, <laughs> to do something that is that meaningful to you. So we both are um, – although I feel like this should be my only one just because I can't – I haven't thought of another thing that would make me um, – would make me feel as good as this does. So, oh, I love it. Yeah, <laughs> thank you so much. Thank you so much for it's having been a real me. Pleasure. This has been very fun. Thanks so much. Thank you for listening to the Maris Review, and check the show notes for the books we discussed on here today. And please subscribe wherever you get your podcasts.